Michael Evely in context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. On the one side, Satan is everyone's adversary. On the other side, Jesus is everyone's advocate. Satan's after you. Jesus is advocating for you. Satan exalts himself for man's ruin. Jesus Christ humbled himself for man's salvation. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Two eternal realities. That's really what we're talking about. You and I are given the option uh, to live forever in a relationship with Christ or apart from Christ. We don't like to talk about the apart from Christ. It's politically incorrect. And even among evangelical, God-fearing Christian community people, there is a move to sort of ignore Satan and to ignore the doctrine of hell. It's not a real place. God would be merciless to send someone to hell, and therefore hell can't be a reality. This is why you believe what you believe is not important. It's critical that you align, that I align our belief systems with what the Bible says about these things, not with what well-intentioned or ill-intentioned people might mean. Let's pick up where we left off in the message about Satanology, why we believe what we believe about the person and work of Satan. So number one, his character is evil. A second caution and exhortation, he is your adversary. He is smarter than you and me. He's more skilled than you and me. And whenever you talk of him, you open up an opportunity. I remember a professor in graduate school showing us an overhead of this brooding, I think it was a Gustav Dorr uh, picture, this brooding Satan over his minions. And uh, he threw that up there for the entire lecture. That was his one graphic for the whole lecture. And he, he talked about whenever you mention or discuss Satan, you draw attention to him, and he can use it to his advantage. That's how powerful he is. He's an adversary. The problem we have as believers is that God allows this adversary to do some things we don't like. We saw it in Job's life. We see it in Paul's life. Uh, some of the suffering you and I will experience in this life, we, I'm not saying that you turn over every rock and look for Satan, but there is an ascription that this adversity and suffering is from the power of Satan in our lives. How we handle it is a different subject, but he is a formidable adversary you cannot fight. I remember in college... There was a group of uh, satanic cult worshiper, you know, kind of pentagram, blood sacrifice things going on in the small town where we lived. And there were some Christians that wanted to go out and surround the house and pray for these people. And a very wise uh, college leader said, stay home. You have no business going out in the woods in the middle of the night, praying around some group of people who are allegedly worshiping Satan. You know, we're not called to fight Satan. We're called to resist him. We're called to watch our own lives, walk closer to Christ. We're not called to fight Satan. That's a fight you're going to lose. As this adversary, he hates Christ. Christ is his nemesis. Christ is his one foe he cannot defeat. Ironically, and it almost seems unwittingly to Satan, but to think about this from how sovereign God is. I know you're not supposed to modify sovereign, but how sovereign he is. He's using Satan. 
God has the last word on the subject. This adversary must be one who surrendered to God's power, not ours. Thirdly, not a common theme taught, but Satan hates Israel. He hates everything about Israel. He has from the moment that God chose Abraham or the Chaldees. He chose Moses. He, the moment God selected a people group to choose and to give covenants to, Satan was now at war. And regardless of your opinion of whether Israel has a part in the internal kingdom, whether it's just a piece of dirt, whether it plays prominently in God's sovereign plan, which I believe it does. I do not think you can remove the Abrahamic covenant nor Romans 9, 10, 11 and spiritualize it away. I think there is a role for that geographic piece of dirt. There is a role for a resurgence of people from Judaism coming back to Christ. Not all Israel is Israel. What lives there now may or may not be Israel. And there are all sorts of opinions, even in this room, from Zionists who want to recapture and reconstruct the land to those who think, ah, it's just a piece of dirt. And that's, that's fine, but I believe Scripture teaches clearly Satan has always hated Israel. And I think any attention in the true sense of spiritual Israel is part of his plan. Satan, fourthly, opposes the gospel. He does not want men to be saved. Luke 8, 11 and 12, 2 Corinthians 4. He holds men and women captive by his will. They think they are aware, and he deceives them. He holds them hostage. Fifth, he attacks believers. He delights in deceiving and distorting and creating doubt and discouraging you and me. Um, years ago, I read a book by um, Martin Lloyd-Jones on spiritual depression, and the idea of our spiritual experience somehow making us depressed, understanding Satan's hands in this process. His attacks, his spiritual working, affects you and me. Six, respect him, but don't overstate him. Seems you run in circles with people who see Satan under every rock, and every little problem in life is Satan. Whether it's, you know, our diet restraints, whatever, it's all Satan, Satan, Satan. It's, you know, Satan's doing this, Satan. You know, I think we give him too much credit sometimes. I think sometimes just big, stupid, sinful me is the problem. Now, perhaps Satan is goading me on, but a lot of times the problems you and I get into are just because we chose to sin. So we don't always lay all responsibility. Don't use him for an excuse, in other words. And seventh and last, in Christ, the believer can resist temptation. You and I, no matter how strong the temptation have been provided, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is stronger, than Satan. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overcome us, but such as is common to man. Your temptations to sin sexually, your temptations to sin ethically, your temptations to sin with power, your temptation covetous and greed and avarice, no temptation is unique. And sometimes when we're alone and loneliest in the spiritual battle, we feel like no one can bear this problem. And that's when we are susceptible to giving in to sin. No one can bear this lustful temptation. No one can bear this pain and problem. I will do it my way. I mentioned um, a number of occasions in the recent weeks because of the fall of another evangelical leader. I've shared many times with you in the front of my Bible what would happen if I lost my integrity. In the back of my Bible, a list of men who have lost their integrity. And wrote at the top of that page a long time ago, somehow these men got to thinking, God has not done right by me. 
They're powerful. They're influential. They're, quote, successful, close quote, the way the world and Christians look at them. They have everything going for them, and then they make these horrible errors in judgment. They weren't accidents. They didn't happen overnight. They were seeds sown very early in their experience. It's very easy to point the finger at those people and make all these excuses, but you and I, walking closely with Christ, can resist those temptations. When you're in a powerful position, it's a lonely position. If you're on the field by yourself, you become lonely. If you don't have good accountability structures and close friendships, you become lonely. Loneliness is an environment to succumb to temptation. I think I've shared with you many times before about my friend who went to drug treatment. He went to four different programs, and the one that helped him taught him H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Never make a decision or leave the house if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. For a drug addict, that's pretty good medicine. Because if you're hungry, you're going to look for something to fill it. If you're angry, you're going to take it out, lash it out, and do things you wouldn't do. If you're lonely, there's no props, no accountability. If you're tired, your senses, your judgment is worn down. Think about that from a, just the course of your Christian experience here. Um, in, in our family, so it's no secret, you've you got to feed Cindy. If mama gets hungry, she's not happy. And all the kids know this now over the years, and we, we can kind of tease about it, but if mama's hungry, she's not happy. She's got to feed the woman. <laughs> and it seems uniquely poised when we travel, she gets hungry the moment we get in the car or on the plane. So if you're smart, we say, honey, let's get something to eat before we go on the trip, because otherwise no one's going to be happy. <laughs> See, when you're hungry... You don't act right. You don't do things well. When you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're angry. Now, that's not a universal solution for our problem. It's just to illustrate the point. When you're susceptible to temptation, if you're satisfied, if you're in a good mood, if you're not lonely and you're energized, you're less likely to put yourself in compromising situations where temptation will get the best of you. That's all I'm trying to say. Now, just think with me of a list of these things. Don't try to jot them down. Just try and get the concept on the one side, Satan is everyone's adversary. On the other side, Jesus is everyone's advocate. Satan's after you. Jesus is advocating for you. Satan exalts himself for man's ruin. Jesus Christ humbled himself for man's salvation. Satan accuses us before God. He never stops. Jesus Christ intercedes for you, and he never stops. Do you ever have a picture of Jesus in constant intercession with your name on his lips? That's a pretty good picture, I think. It's an accurate picture. He constantly intercedes on your behalf. Satan's followers will share in his ruin. Jesus' followers will share in his reign and his kingdom. Satan's a liar and a deceiver. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan tempts and he promises freedoms you'll never get. Jesus takes slaves and frees them. Satan produces death. Jesus gives life. Satan hates God. He fights God. Jesus Christ loves God and submits to God. Satan is cruel. He's evil and seductive. Jesus Christ is gracious, good, and holy. Satan's goal for your life is to destroy you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, his goal is to ruin your life. Think about how clever he is. Before you're married, he entices you and tempts you to go to bed 
with some person or persons. When you get married, he then entices you to go into other beds. Everything we do in life, he deceives us in. So you want money and you want power, and so you get those things. And when you get those things, you're not satisfied. You want more money and more power, or you want to use them inappropriately. So no matter what Satan promises you or tempts you with, it will never satisfy. Satan is a counterfeit, and he's a substitute. And substitutes never satisfy. John 4, 4. Let's turn there and look at this, and then I'm done. 1 John 4, 4. If you have your Bible, you probably know it already. Let's look at it together. 1 John 4, 4. In this context where John is talking about how to understand the spiritual concepts, the Spirit of God, the spirits you want to test and know if they're true or not true spirits. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because he is greater who is in you than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I don't know if you're susceptible to worrying about Satan. Some of us are more prone to that. Some others aren't. But he who is in you is greater. A couple years ago, uh, many years ago, I was doing outreach at a state fair. We had these uh, booths, and you could rent space, and you could put your stuff there, and you could stand behind the booth. Couldn't go out in the crowd, but you could stand behind the booth. And we had this picture of this catastrophe, one of these over-the-top pictures of the rapture. And we had a thing called a Bible map. It was just a little timeline with some cartoon-type drawings on it. And we just stood there with materials. And people would walk by and they'd look at it. And we'd say, free map. And some would venture up and we'd just talk to them and say, can I show you the map? And they'd say, sure, or they'd take it or whatever. Easiest fishing I'd ever done in my life. Just sat there and people came and talked to you. Shared the gospel. Many people trusted in Christ. It was a lot of fun. I had an experience with a guy who was about 12 feet away from the booth. He looked like he could have been Charles Manson's brother. This is back in the 70s, and he had a lot of tattoos, which were uncommon, not as common as today. And he was drunk, and he was pretty angry. And his friend had walked up to the little table and was talking to one of us, and he was standing in the back. And I looked at this guy, and I, I said, would you like to see this little map? He just kind of looked at me, and I'm not a mystic or given to mysticism, but I want to tell you, I felt more spiritual oppression in that exchange than I have my entire life. And I tried to engage him and tried to talk to him, and I don't know, I don't know if I personally don't think a believer can be demon-possessed. I know other people disagree with me. They're wrong. I'm right. Um, <laughs> I know godly men and women who think that's true. I don't think the Holy Spirit will tolerate it. I think you can be deceived in sin deeply, but I don't think you can be demonized or controlled. That's just my opinion. I know godly people disagree. We won't settle that here. But my point simply was that man was harassed or harangued at some level I had not seen before. And the evil... And the language, alcohol helped, I'm sure. And as I stood behind that little table, I was thinking about greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And it wasn't like I felt superior or better. I just felt confident. He was a scary guy. 
He's an adversary. He's like a lion. He wants to devour you and me. And he's smarter than we are. He's clever. He's creative. Don't fool around with him. But know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Father in heaven, thanks for the truth of your word. A culture that continues to go insane with choices of immorality and ethics and the disposal of life and all the things that we hold dear as those who try to follow you. Give us courage and gentleness and humility and the right words and help us most of all to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we may have raised more questions than we've answered, and I would love to hear from you at michaelincontext.com. I would be honored to try to answer any questions you might have, comments, criticisms, or questions. Send them our way, and I'll do my best to try to respond. Thanks again for listening. This is Michael Easley in Context. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com.